All God's people said. Amen. Please have a seat. So in our family, we love musicals. It's a uh, byproduct, first and foremost, of my father-in-law, Kai, um, who introduced them to us, and also the fact that I have three daughters. And so, although I can't sing a lick, um, we do love musicals. One of our favorites is the musical My Fair Lady. And one of the great characters written in a musical, Eliza Doolittle, there's a scene where she's singing to her beau, her suitor, this young man who's been pursuing her for a while, and she says this to Freddie, if you're really on fire, don't sing me no songs, don't read me no rhymes, don't waste my time, show me. Now I avoided singing it because that would have ruined the moment, but I wonder if that isn't what God is saying to us today. If that isn't what God is saying to you today, don't sing me no songs, don't read me no rhymes, don't waste my time, show me. Now you might say, well, wait a second, that, that's, you're, putting, you're taking words from a musical and you're, and you're giving them to God. Yeah, I get it. God isn't actually saying that. However, God actually did say this in Isaiah 29. Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. See, this is the fight we've been in since the very beginning, since the fall. It is this fight of, of a, God, a God who pursues our hearts relentlessly and we spend our time hiding them from him or filling them with things that are not of him. The problem that, that I, that, guys, get this, and I know I was praying for a couple of people in our prayer time today. The problem that we have, that, that, we, that we have to come to grips with before we even jump into James, is to, to go through the motions of religious activity. To sing songs or even to read and respond to the Word of God and not open your heart up to Him isn't just a waste of time. It's actually an affront to a living God. Right? He doesn't want our religion. He wants our worship. And what James is going to show us is, guys, practically speaking, boots on the ground, this is what, it looks, this is what worship looks like. That's what the book of James is going to show us. If, if, the book of, if, our, if our study through Daniel and Revelation that we did showed us here's who Jesus is, and the Advent season sort of took us through, here's the story God is telling, and this witness time that we had over the last three weeks is saying, and here's the power at your disposal to live with Christ and Christ with you. James is going to show us how, by the power of the Holy Spirit, again and again, what he's going to tell us over and over is, show me. Show me. This is what it ought to look like to follow hard after Christ. But we can't leave behind that other stuff. And that's my big fear. And what I've been praying probably most earnestly for as we start this study is that we wouldn't believe, leave behind the withness and start trying to do stuff for Jesus. Because I'm really bent that way anyway. Just tell me what to do. Give me my checkoff list and man, I'll get it done and I'll feel better about it. I, I live my life that way in every area of my life, and my walk with the Lord can spill that into that very rapidly, and then it becomes religion and not worship. Guys, this relatively short letter, five chapters, what we have is five chapters, it's 108 verses. 
It is filled with imperatives. In the Greek, there are two major verb forms. There's the indicatives and the imperatives. The indicatives are just what, what the word implies. They indicate what is. The imperatives tell us what to do. And in these 108 verses, there are more than 60 commands. Now, guys, Jesus didn't come all this way. We say this a lot here. Jesus didn't come all this way just to give us a list of do's and don'ts. But he also didn't take the time to, to write, have the Holy Spirit inspire this in men, write it and preserve it over the eons, just as suggestions that we can follow if we feel like it. So there's this balance of, I, I don't need to do anything because he's done it all. But oh, by the way, there are, some, there are a lot of commands in this book that tell us what to do. And 60 plus of them are going to be in this book we're going to look at. But get, get this before we open up James. This is, a, this is not, we're gonna, James is a, is, a, is a book that's filled with doing, filled with working out. This is not a tour of your gym. We belong to a gym where I'll see these people, and they, the, the people that work there, and you can see that they're, they're bringing the people around and they're showing them what machines they have. And this is where we have the free weights, and this is where we have the whatevers, and this is what we, you know, and, 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 I, and I always, I, I think, man, because there, there's some people that, that, frankly, you just obviously know they're not going to last very long. Right? Like, so, and, and you know that the employee knows that they're probably never coming back. But it's his job. This is not that. This is not James giving us a tour of, well, there's this machine over here. If you, if you want to work out your abs, here's what we have for you. Guys, this is the trainer. And Emma, you'll get this. This is the trainer looking at you going, get on the machine. It's time for the workout. And if you're not sore tomorrow, you did it wrong. Like that's really what James is, is going is to be telling us as we look at it today. In the series that we're... That in the series... That we're, that we're actually starting today, the first, the first message, we're 15 weeks, Lord willing, the first message is going to go through the first 12 verses, and it's called Handling the Headlines Joyfully. Handling the Headlines Joyfully. And the question I want to ask today is, how can we handle bad news better? How can we handle bad news better? Because the world is full of bad news. Just turn on the TV, or don't. How can we handle the bad news better? But we can't leave Jesus and the gospel behind. And you're going to hear me say that so many times in the next 15 weeks, Lord willing, that you're going to get sick of it. But let's open up our Bibles to James, the book of James. It's towards the end of your Bible, actually. It's right after the big letter of Hebrews. So if you just keep going to the right, you're going to pass the gospels, pass a lot of Paul's letters. You're going to get to this big book called Hebrews. And then we're going to get to James. And I'm going to start, and guys, I'm not doing a three-point three outline today, so if you're waiting for the next point to come up, you're, don't, don't. Before you start writing notes, if you're a good note-taker like you ought to be, don't do that, because there, not, there is no three-point sermon today. This, we're just going to work through this passage, these 12 verses, stopping occasionally to ask a few questions. So in chapter 1, or in chapter one verse 1, it says this, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, Greetings. Guys, isn't it interesting that how, how right out of the gate James introduces himself? I am James, the bondservant of Christ. Wait a minute, how come he doesn't say I am James, the half-brother of Jesus? That's, what, that's the bomb I would drop. Oh, by the way, I'm the guy that grew up with him. Right? He doesn't say that. Why? Because he knows that, that his authority, his identity has nothing to do with biology. 
His connection to Christ at this point in his life has, is not because they had the same mom. He has been born again and changed and has, been, has entered into the family of God through his biological brother, but he knows his authority is, is in seeing himself as a bondservant of Christ. James, fine, he didn't start, if you read through the Gospels, his family, Jesus' family, did not deal with Jesus well. In fact, at one point, they wanted to throw him off a cliff because he was a family embarrassment. That was James. That James had his whole life changed after he saw his brother crucified and the Holy Spirit came into his life, and now he gets it. And what he gets is how he defines himself as a bondservant. The question I have for myself is, do I see myself that way? Guys, do I see myself that, that my life is to point him out? That he is the point? And if he's not the point, then, then what is the point? The point becomes me. If it's not him, then it's me. If it's not him, then it's you. And what, James, and what James is telling us is, I am a slave to my brother because of what he has done for me. But this is our problem. Guys, we can't, we make it so much about us, we can't do the six things that we talked about over the last three weeks, the, the being in God's word and the being filled with the Holy Spirit and prayer and fasting and, and, um, and the living together and loving one another, we can't do those things in our own strength. We can't do those things and we can't do those things unless we have sold out for Christ. That's what James is telling us. I am sold out for Christ. So if you look at the back of your connecting points, if you have one, there's these table talk questions. I look forward to the day that we can actually sit at tables in more comfortable chairs, at least that fold and have backs on them, as opposed to how we set up tables here that don't have backs on them, um, where, where we can actually sit and take a few minutes during this time and converse together around these questions. Because there's a lot of growth that can happen there. And I'm dreaming about ways we can see that happen even here. It's just a little hard in this current space. But look at the table talk question. Do you have a servant... Do you have a servanthood mindset? Be honest. What gets in the way of your willingness to think this way? And then finally, how can you better show yourself a servant of Christ? Because it's, the reason I stopped there for sort of the first stopping point on this passage, we've got 12 verses to get through, we've gotten through one, is because if we don't get this, if we don't get that, that how James, the brother of Christ, define himself as a bond slave, and we don't own, and we don't step into that space ourselves, we can't do any of the rest of the words that he said. The, the other 107 verses in this letter are useless if we don't get it. That you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body, is what Paul tells us. So now he's going to tell us, okay, so here's what being a bond slave looks like. And that's pretty much the rest of the letter. Oh, let me stop real quick just so I don't distract. So, so you, some of you like the 12 tribes thing. Guys, that's, that, in, in James is the first letter in the New Testament written. It was probably written around 45 AD. That's his way of saying God's redeemed people everywhere. Because that's who he would be. Everybody was a dispersed, every believing Christian now was a dispersed, was a Jew at one point. At this stage of the church history. So he's just saying, to the 12 tribes, it's not, so, so some people will read that and go, well, that means that James isn't for us. Oh, no, I don't have time to, un we, we talk about this a lot. The Old Testament promises to the New Testament is God's people. This is his way of just saying God's redeemed people. 
So what are God's redeemed people supposed to do? Well, let's take a look. The first thing out of the chute is probably the hardest. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He doesn't say feel joy when you're encountering trials. Do you get that? What does he say? Consider it joy. The word there actually is kenosis. It's, it's this idea of, of, no, of understanding it through, not like through experience. So what he's saying in, this, in, this whole, in, this, in these three verses is, isn't consider it joy when bad, like, like feel happy when bad things happen to you. Only a psychopath psychopath feels happy when bad things happen. And in fact, and, and guys, the worst thing we can say to somebody that's, that's been punched in the gut by the world or by life, they've lost a loved one, they've lost their job, they just got the call from the doctor that they have a terminal illness. The worst thing we can say to that person is, you know what, praise the Lord through it, brother or sister, because God is sovereign. What? Yeah, eventually we want to try to bring them back to a place of worshiping, worshiping him through the trial, just like Job did. That Job fell on his face after he heard all that bad news in his life, and he worshiped. Absolutely. But we don't start with going, you know, just praise God through it. He's, what he's saying here isn't feel happy. What he's saying is remember what you know to be true. Because this is a theme throughout Scripture. Paul says it in, in Philippians. He, he talks about how I consider all of the world's garbage, all of the world's stuff as garbage, except for the surpass, or compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord and Savior, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. But get this, through the fellowship of his suffering. So Paul is connecting his joy in Christ to suffering with Christ. In fact, in this passage in Romans, he says it this way. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with, with Christ. We love that part, but we've got to read the rest of the passage. That the first part of the passage is only true if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. How do we do that? Like, like, like seriously, how do we do that? Well, verse 3 tells us. He says, consider it joy. Like, no, like, like, mentally, not emotionally, know that God's got a plan here because, and this is what he says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. That word know is kenosis. It means know by experience. He's saying, you, you, guys, we have to, feelings are not bad. Sometimes in our circle, man, anything that smacks of feeling, emotional worship, whatever, oh, we got to run from that. And, guys, I get it. Feelings can be dangerous because it's Satan's playground, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't use them too. And so what, he's, what, what we have to real, come to grips with or, or remember is that, is that our feelings cannot trump what we know. What we know has to trump what we feel. And that's hard when the feelings are really intense. Guys, here's the way, I, as I've been wrestling through this over the last few weeks. There, there, is, there are things in life that are true. It is true for some of you right now that you're dealing with pain physical ailment, that you're dealing with emotional lo like loss of people, you're dealing with betrayal, you're dealing with... They, 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 those, those things are true. They just are. We can't diminish what's true. 
We can't just walk around going, well, I'm just going to pretend like that's not my reality. But what we have to do is we have to filter what's true in our own minds with what's truth. You might be experiencing betrayal, and you might be experiencing fear, and you might be experiencing pain, and all those things are true. What is truth is that you are deeply loved. What is truth is that God is in control. What is truth is that his grace is sufficient in your weakness. And we have to be able to filter what, what, we, what our experience is through the filter of Scripture and what is truth. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And here's, and here's the whole reason why it happens. Verse 4, And let endurance have its perfect, it actually means perfecting, result. So that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking in nothing. Guys, this is probably the hardest part. Uh, uh, what, what, the reason I struggle with trials, the reason I, can't, I have a hard time considering it all joy, is because I have a perspective problem. And I have trust issues. With him and with you. But those are my, if, if I could, and what, what James is telling us here is if you will change your perspective and understand that, that God has a preordained outcome for this thing going on in your life, right? Paul says, I'm summarizing something Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians. God does, Christ does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us to make us comforters. If we would understand that the struggles you're going through are being used by God to conform you into Christ-likeness, one, so that in, when you enter into glory, you're more useful to him for all eternity, but two, so that, you're more, so that we are more useful to him now. That's the other piece of it. How do I know that's true? Because what happened to Christ? Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says this. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. That's not talking about the cross. That's talking about his life prior to the cross. You want to talk about a person who, uh, who gets betrayal, loneliness, people that, are, people that are attacking him for no reason. He also got, by the way, emotional hurt. Jesus wept. He got hungry, and they needed food. He got tired and needed sleep. He, he gets it. And, he, and, and through, just, through every one of those moments of just going, not my will, but your will be done. Not why my will, but your will be done, Father. I'm going to turn to the Father for my strength. That allowed him to go to the garden and go, even in the biggest of my trials, I know the cross is before me. I can still say, not my will, but your will be done. Because that was a process in Christ's humanity to get to that place. And we are in process. And we never come out of that process until we get into eternity. Like this, this cycle of trials and fighting through it and trusting the Lord and then here comes another, the next one. It doesn't, like we, I will often ask, when will it end, O Lord? And he says, when you enter into glory. And we'll get there at the end. I want to give you another sailboat analogy. We've been talking about sailboats and, and how th this idea of lifting your sails and the Holy Spirit catches the wind, you know, the, the wind of the Holy Spirit catches your sail and takes you along, and that's the power in which we go. Imagine you're out in a sailboat. Like, you, you, you go to the dock, and you're like, there's two guys there. I, I want to go sailing. I've never been sailing before. So I jump in this guy's boat, and we go out, and he's the captain of the boat. Who, who do you want to be the captain? Do you want the guy who has... All the, he went to school to learn how to sail, but his only experience is sailing through calm waters. 
Or do you want the old grizzled veteran who looks like he's just like a piece of worn out leather, has all the knowledge, and oh, by the way, has sailed through many storms. When you get out there in the middle of the ocean and a storm hits, I want the person who has experience in the storm. That's who Jesus is. That's the captain he is for us. And what he's in the business of doing is turning us into that kind of person. It doesn't make it always pleasant. In fact, most of the time, from our perspective, it's not. But guys, if, if we would get this, if Cornerstone Church would really get this, this idea that, that, that suffering is not something to hide from, but to embrace and step into, because of what I just talked about, it, we would turn our neighborhoods, our schools, and our places of work upside down. Why? Because suffering is a universal language. Suffering is something everybody endures. Guys, don't ever say to somebody, don't ever say to yourself, that person has no idea what suffering is. Guys, if, if, I, if, we, if we just took today and said, you know what, we're all going to go around, you all have 30 seconds to share how you're suffering right now. We, it would take us, everybody here would have something. Every, now, now, some people are better at, at hiding it and medicating it than other people are. But suffering is a universal language, and it allows us an opportunity to step into the space with anybody and everybody that we're dealing with. Because everybody gets it. But when we've been sold this idea of put on Christ and your life will be better, people can't relate to that. Because in their hearts, they're like, no, wait a second. You said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be, sa- you know, if, 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 I, if I accept Christ as my Savior, my whole life is going to be rosy. Yeah, but here's the problem. This doesn't say that. So when it doesn't happen, they figure Christ is a failure and it just didn't work for them. But when we can be honest and upfront and we can just sort of say, guys, I'm a sorry mess. And you can say, I'm a sorry mess, but Christ has saved this sorry mess for his glory then maybe us sharing that, really sharing our lives that way, would allow other people to see God and be led to him instead of to us. If I feel like I have to put forth this idea of my whole life is wonderful, so come follow me, they're following. Even if I could pull that off, they're following the wrong person for the wrong reason. Right? We want them following Christ. Guys, everybody has baggage. And my bags are full. They are. You guys, I mean, I stand up here week after week and unload some of my baggage. Guys, I have trust issues. I have, I, I, I fight bitterness. That's in my bag. I fight faith and the lack thereof. But we need to be able to, guys, guys, I don't wake up at 2 a.m. to think about what the Cardinals are going to do in their next draft. And neither do you. Everybody has baggage. Everybody has junk. Because everybody in some way is suffering. And rather than run from that and hide from that and medicate against that, if we would just embrace and step into those moments with those people, real gospel change will happen. So the table talk question on the back says this. How, have, how has your view of trials been, a, been filtered through feelings and the, not the facts of Scripture? And how has this teaching in James helped improve 
your vision. Because feelings are not bad, but what we know has to trump what we feel. Truth has to trump true. Now you're looking, you're going, okay, I'm looking at the clock, and um, he said 12 verses, and we've gotten through four. That's okay. Because we're going to fly through the next few, and here's why. Sometimes I get accused of, of going through Scripture too, soon, too fast, and sometimes the accusation is true. Just, it just, I just blew it. There is a danger in flying through Scripture too fast. You can miss some real gems. There is also a real danger in going through Scripture too slow. I call it teaching expositopically. If expository teaching is teaching the Bible verse by verse, and topical teaching is just teaching topics, expositopical teaching is using the Bible to teach your topics. Here's what I mean by that. We could go, consider it all joy. Ah, the word joy is there. So I'm going to spend the next three weeks talking about what biblical joy looks like. That, that, isn't, that doesn't necessarily have to be wrong, but it's not right either. Because here's the problem, and here's why we're going through these 12 verses today. It doesn't matter what I want James to say. It doesn't matter what I even think James said. What matters is what James meant to say. That's called authorial intent in Bibleese. And that's what, the, the key to reading your Bible is going, isn't, okay, what do I think about this? It's why did the Holy Spirit inspire James to write it this way? And, and if you read this grammatically, verses 2, 3, and 4, and verse 12, where we're going to finish, are all one thought. And the verses in between, verses 5 through 8, and then verses um, 9, 10, and 11, are two supporting details. He's just making his case that, oh, by the way, because he was Jewish, his brain thinks like this, whereas we think more linearly in how we do things. He's going to cycle back, and we're going to... So, so, for example, look at verse, look at verse um, 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now guys, I, and I'm going to talk about, in a minute about wisdom, but, but to stop here and go, let's do five weeks on what biblical wisdom is, is not his point. And oh, by the way, he's going to talk to us about wisdom, Lord willing, in a few months when we get to chapter 3, where he really addresses what biblical wisdom is. All he's doing here, that word but there, and the word but that starts verse 9, is telling you that those are just conjunctions that he's making the point. So don't lose verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result in light of verse 12, what he's saying, but here are two areas where we struggle to walk with Christ. The reason, the reason we struggle with joy in trials is because we want what we want. That's verses 5 through 8. And we want to have what we want to have, which is verses 9, 10, and 11. And because of those two things, it's impossible for us to consider it all joy. When I'm stuck in I want, I want, I want, or I want to have this and I want to live comfortably, then we can't, there's, man, when those things are taken away, how can we have joy? So what is wisdom? So this first part is he's just saying, we either want what we want or we want what, God's, what God wants. And what he's saying is if you lack wisdom, if you lack knowing what God wants you to know, ask him. Right? Wisdom, I'm going to take the time. Keep your finger in James. I, I, I know, it's okay. Everybody says don't worry about the time. I worry about the time. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Keep your finger in James. We're coming back. 
Proverbs is in the middle of your Bible. It's worth looking at. There's going to be a lot of daily, guys, there's a lot of daily readings this week that are going to fill in a lot of these gaps in everything from how to deal with trials to what does wisdom look like, etc. So that's why it's really important for you to keep the conversation going throughout the week. If you don't know what the daily readings are, they're in your connecting points. You can sign up to get the, um, you can get them sent to you by going to our website, um, going to Facebook. It says this, the proverb, so I'm, I'm starting for chapter, chap, Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. Solomon is, is telling us why he wrote Proverbs. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now get this, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Look at chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding, and he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and preserving the way of the godly ones. Turn to chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. Guys, and, and I, mean, I, just, I just picked a few. I mean, Proverbs is wisdom literature. So it's, it's full of wisdom and the word wisdom. But look at chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and knowledge it is established. And by knowledge... I'm sorry, by, by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established and by knowledge the rooms are filled with all pleasant, precious and pleasant riches. So wisdom, guys, here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is walking in God's world, God's way. Or walking God's way in God's world. That's what wisdom is. Our struggle is, and we might say, okay, I want that. Guys, I get this. I, you might be sitting here today going, I, I want that. I want to I live God's way. Right up until your want and his way smack into each other. What do I mean by that? Oh, what about um, I want to date this person, but God's wisdom tells me not to be unequally yoked. That's yeah, okay, I'll just forget about that. Maybe he'll get saved. What about I really wanted this thing? something you have. And God's like, yeah, you know what? I don't want that for you. So you're not going to get it. Now all of a sudden, God doesn't know what he's talking about. What, what about things like relationships that you're holding on to too tightly? That's been my, and, and, and not trusting God when he takes it. What about calendar items or hobbies that are taking up too much of your time and you know it? And every time you're in them and you're doing them, you're like, man, this is getting in the way of my walk with the Lord, but I just love it so. The problem with us is we want, one of the problems with, with considering it all joy, when we encounter trials, when those trials might look like God taking away something we wanted to hold on to, is because we want it instead of trusting his wisdom in it. And then the other thing is we want to have what we want to have. And look at verses 9, 10, and 11. But the brother of humble circumstance is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. And again, he's going to come back to riches in chapter 5 when we get there. His point here is to say, we, we cling to stuff too tightly. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers with the grass, and his flowers fall and 
fall off and the beauty of his appearance is destroyed, so, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Guys, this is such a beautiful picture of, of what Jesus taught when he taught about the, the parable of the man, the, the man with all the riches who's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a bigger barn because then I'll be able to retire and have a happy life. And you remember how Jesus ended that parable? parable? In Luke 12, he says this, And I will say to my soul, Soul, this is the man speaking, the foolish man, I have, many good, I, have, I have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? God takes away this man's stuff and he is not going to consider it all joy because he's wrapped up in his stuff. Guys, it's the presence of God, not the gifts that we should be longing for. Right? But we get so caught up in the gifts. And, and the thing is, the trials, the, the, James's whole point here, is the trials press us further and further into his presence if we let them. That's why, he or, that's why God orchestrates them in our lives. So the reason we don't handle the headlines joyfully is because we want to live like we want to live and we want to want what we want to want and we want to have it. So today's question is, how can we handle that good news better? Here's the answer. We've got to get that he has a bigger purpose and plan and great things in store for those who stand with him. How do we handle bad news better? When we realize that we're not God and he is. Look at verse 12. Remember, in light of verses 2 through 4, consider it all joy because you know that testing your faith is going to produce endurance. The endurance is going to perfect you into the image of Christ. Now look at what he says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Approved means stood the test. So here's the question. Are you ready to stand the test in the storm? Your table talk question that addresses this says, it is not about how you started, but how you finish. Okay, so James did not start well. The guy that wrote this book did not start well with Jesus. He wanted to throw his brother off a cliff. Some of you can relate. But it's where he finished that mattered. He was martyred. He was the first martyr. He was the first person killed as the leader of the church in Jerusalem for Christ that we know of. But you know what? That didn't end his life, man. That just made him enter into glory. It only... Guys, it's only going to get harder to be a Christian. It's only going to get harder and harder and harder to do those six things we talked about over the last three weeks. Because the enemy is throwing more and more and more distractions at us. More and more and more discouragement at us. And if we're not working out, like getting in shape spiritually, we will not withstand the storm. That's the point that James is making. But guys, it's not about doing the things that he wants us to do, which is what the rest of this letter is going to be about. It's about the motivation behind them. Because I'm going to keep saying this over and over at Cornerstone. The first call of the Christian is not behave, but behold. It's not even believe. It's behold. Do we just see Jesus as better? Do we see him as more beautiful? Because that's what James did. Eventually, James got to that place where he's like, he is just better. Do we see, look at what he says at the end of verse 12, and he will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Do we see the crown of life as the only reason worth living this one? That's what James is asking us here. 
Guys, we used, we, we prayed. Brian had to start our prayer time up here, pre-service prayer, with our Father who art in heaven. The Apostles' Creed talks about we believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Do you see God as a good father? Do you see him as a father figure? A good, perfect father figure? An all-powerful father figure? Because if we do, if we'll get that, we'll, we'll be able to consider it all joy. We'll be able to persevere under trials because we'll get that our father knows better than we do and that everything that comes at us is filtered through our heavenly father. Guys, every one of your tomorrows has to go through him before it gets to you. So what are you worried about tomorrow for? If you really believe God is a good father. That's my struggle. I don't always believe that. I don't always believe that God has my best in mind. Because what we think about God, what we think about, when, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I've said that a lot. I'll keep saying it. What comes to mind when we think about God? Because if we don't see him this way, we will not trust him. And every time something happens that, that we don't see as good, we will question. And sometimes we'll just rage against him. So we have to, guys, all of my struggles come down to two things. I said this earlier. I have the wrong view of God, and I have the wrong view of myself. Those are, those are my two big issues. Because I have a wrong view of God, and I don't see him for who he is, and because I have a wrong view of myself, I see myself as better than I am, I struggle. Because I, I, I just do. I can't get over myself. Guys, as the music team comes up and we enter into our time of response and worshiping and giving and communion, guys, I, I, I have a real sense that the Holy Spirit is going to do something powerful in our midst. Like, I, I've, I've, been, I've been praying this since before the new year started. But I really, I mean, we've already seen evidences of it in our body. But I really feel like, God, but guys, here's the thing. It only will happen if we, as a people, get serious about walking with God. Christ in this new year. Because we can't draw, he's not going to give us the power of his spirit if we're not walking with him. Because we can't be trusted with it. So as we press into him more, as we embrace trials and conflict and struggles in godly ways, the Holy Spirit will fall upon us. I, I believe that with everything in me. But I also know it will become uncomfortable. Because revival always is. Revival is not, hey God, could you just do what we've had going on here for a while, but just maybe do it a little bigger. Like just bring some more people. That's not what revival is. Revival is, I'm going to do something totally different because then when I, when I do, I'll, I'm the only one that gets the glory. But man, that's, that is an uncomfortable, sometimes scary place for me to be. I'll be honest. Because I like my box. I, I want to define it that way. And so when we step into this space of going, you know what, it's time for us to just get uncomfortable, to really live. Guys, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing what we've been saying we've wanted all along. Not, hey, this is a great place to come hang out if you're, all, if you're cleaned up. Like, once you get your act together, come be a part of our family. This is a place, what we've been saying for a long time, and I, and I see it happening now. This is a place where we all admit we're a mess. Where we all admit we have baggage. You know what? I've got, I've got struggles. I've got, I've got, I'm going through trials. I'm going through pain. I'm going through all those things. And so are you. So why don't you come with me and let's walk through this with Jesus together. That's what I see the Holy Spirit doing in our midst. That's how I, I believe we will be a people who can consider it all joy. And guys, when we really start doing gospel-centered, grace-filled community 
well, the Holy Spirit will fall. He will. Let's pray. So, Father, I just thank you for that truth. Lord, I thank you for the truth that you are a mighty God and you are a good Father. Lord, I thank you that when we come to faith in Christ, you have, you've already applied to our lives the crown of life. But man, when we enter into that in full, when you take us home or you come back to get us, it will blow our minds. In the meantime, you want to blow our minds now. Help us to get out of this comfortable box of religion and let us be worshipers. The hour has come and now is where the true worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth, you said. Lord, help us to press into your truth. Help, that, help, help truth trump what is true in our lives, what we feel. But at the same time, help us to step into the power of your spirit. Help us to be a people that, that, look, that, that, that look to you and trust you. And, and, are, and because we look to you and we trust you, we're willing to risk being comfortable. You've not called me to be comfortable. You've not called your people to be comfortable. You've called us to Christ-likeness. He was rarely comfortable from a worldly sense. So, Father, I do pray that as has as already been talked about here today, that we would not walk out of here the same way we walked in. That our cells would be more full, that the spiritual eyes of our hearts would be open, and that we would be worshipers of the only one worthy of worship with our very lives. For you're the one who gave yours for us, in Jesus' name, amen.